you're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition. And it lies between the pit of one's fears and the summit of one's knowledge. You are now traveling through a dimension of imagination. You just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host Matt Hurt and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is one man's examination of the Twilight Zone as a first time viewer. Each podcast I share my first impressions, analysis, and overall thoughts on Rod Serling's iconic series one episode at a time. However, in this bonus episode review series, I will be reviewing the 2019 Twilight Zone reboot produced by Jordan Peele, Simon Kinberg, Marco Ramirez, Wynn Rosenfeld, among others, and uh, hosted by Jordan Peele. Um, and how great does that, how, again, like, how great is that? I'm, like, how great is it to say I'm reviewing brand new episodes of the Twilight Zone? Um, in 2019. That's great. So anyway, you can find more of Anthology as well as a full episode archive at anthologypod.com. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod. Tweet me at ovanthologypod or send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. And if you're just tuning into the podcast just for these new Twilight Zone episodes, uh, thank you and uh, welcome to the podcast. Um, just really quickly, um, my main my main episodes of the podcast are all about the original series. And like I said, it's my first time watching it. So I'm kind of having some fresh takes on it, but, um, or first impressions of it. And, uh, I do also do these bonus episode series. I have previously done, uh, every episode of black mirror, including Bandersnatch, the black mirror interactive movie. And I also did Hulu's dimension 404. And soon enough, I will be doing, uh, uh, um, uh, Amazon Prime's Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams. So, yeah, feel free to check out the rest of my stuff if you're just here for the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone series. Uh, so today on the podcast, this is my second, uh, in this bonus episode review series, I'm going to be discussing Nightmare at 30,000 Feet. It's the second episode of the Twilight Zone's first season, and it premiered on April 1st, 2019 on CBS All Access. Um, yeah, and uh super excited for that uh, to talk to talk about this episode with the podcast world um uh or with the internet whatever. Um real quick before I get started, I do have some notes and everything. First up is uh listener Steven uh, at Steven underscore G on Twitter. Uh, he sent me a tweet and said that he found where Twilight Zone is available to stream in Canada. Uh, the original series is in, uh, is on, uh, City TV and the new 2019 series will be there too. So if you are, uh, not in the U.S. and you're curious where to find it, uh, find the new Twilight Zone, uh, check out City TV if you're in Canada. And also, uh, just to shout him out, uh, check out Steven's uh, website, noformatblog.ca, and also check out his new podcast, The Slow Reader, there. Um, again, that's noformatblog.ca. Uh, 
Okay, I am going to be talking about uh, Nightmare at 30,000 Feet, but before I do that, um, earlier this week I did a bonus review of The Comedian, which was the first episode, which also premiered on April 1st, and I have some notes that I want to kind of go through before uh, I dig into Nightmare at 30,000 Feet, so hopefully you guys don't mind indulging me for a moment, and I do have some corrections and some interesting tidbits that didn't make the cut last time so uh here we go first of all this is so stupid and i'm probably gonna cut it when i edit this episode but uh i don't think i mentioned really anywhere on the podcast that uh the trailers and everything for the new show um like one of the kind of taglines is what dimension are you even in and i now that i'm saying it out loud i think i may have actually said this on the podcast and the the worst thing than saying than saying something stupid on a podcast is saying something stupid twice but anyway that just that tagline in my head i just i just imagine like uh a riff on the uh do you do you, uh do you lift bro uh so like i just imagine the tagline an alternate tagline would be do you even dimension bro um Again, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, uh, the comedian, some notes about that. Uh, correction in the bonus review I did, I mentioned that the no apostrophes sign, uh, wasn't there until after, uh, after the set where he, uh, gives his dog away or talks about his dog. Uh, that's incorrect. It's actually there from the very beginning. So, um, I'm not smart. Um, <laughs> uh, References to the original Twilight Zone that I missed in The Comedian, uh, the masks or the mask on the stage of the comedy club, uh, kind of up in the corner, um, instead of the kind of theater images of tragedy and comedy, it's the mask from, I believe, the original series episode, The Masks. Um, that's an episode I haven't watched yet, but I'm definitely aware of. And also the dummy, the ventriloquist dummy from the original episode, The Dummy, uh, the original series episode the dummy is visible in the background of the scene with samir and Didi backstage at the comedy club before they go up for the late show to go up for the uh uh for whatever that show was that the the gower hour um and also very interesting tidbit about that the dummy uh if i understand correctly the dummy uh was the property of david copperfield the magician and he is apparently a huge twilight zone fan and he owned the prop and he uh was asked like somehow they asked uh, like uh basically he gave it to them to use for the show on one condition that they give him that they reference him in the show and so that's why samir says that he didn't want to be an evil david copperfield um there's a there's a there's a uh there's an article about it. I'll put it in the show notes of the episode. Um, yes. Th- and thank you to Twitter user at dark tea party, uh, on Twitter for pointing all this stuff out for me. Um, I really appreciate it. And I really hope that he does more of that for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really, really appreciate that. So thank you at dark tea party. And also I was kind of browsing the twilight zone subreddit and, uh, I, there was another reference to the original series that I had missed completely. So when Samir, um, erases his nephew and he's in the, he's on the street, 
um, outside of the club and he is going through his contacts on his phone. Uh, several of the contacts in his phone are names from the original series episodes. So there's Henry Corwin from Night of the Meek, uh, Peter Corrigan from Back There, Al Denton from Mr. Denton on Doomsday, Al Cadwallader from Escape Clause, uh, James Corey from The Lonely, uh, and James Embry from King Nine Will Not Return, which just real quick, um, I'm kind of blown away that these are all names from episodes that I've watched. Like I'm almost, I'm almost done with season two of the show and like all of these references are references for episodes that I, I've already reviewed. So I, I, I don't know why that's worth mentioning, but it's interesting to me. Um, yeah. And also Henry Corwin is, uh, one of the Facebook friends that he is browsing. Um, he may actually be the Facebook friend that, uh, he erases in his first set after, um, erasing the nephew. So yeah. Um, those are the notes I have for the comedian. Uh, nope. I actually have one more and I'm not going to really touch on this that much. It's just, it's something that annoyed me. Um, when the new episodes premiered, there was some, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say backlash. I don't know what the hell it was, but basically some people got upset because, uh, because the show got political and, uh, like, okay. Um, I, that, I don't know what to say. I honestly, I don't know what to say to that. I really don't because it's, it's absurd. Like they were upset because, oh, they, oh, they made it political. Like that's what the Twilight Zone is. The Twilight Zone is like the whole reason that Rod Serling created the Twilight Zone was because he was being censored when he tried to bring in like, uh, serious topics and socio-political kind of things and stuff. Like, like that's the reason why he chose science fiction, um, and started writing science fiction. And to say that, like, it's, it's stupid. It's not worth mentioning. I don't like, it's, it's ridiculous to me that there's like, uh, an anger in the fan community of the Twilight Zone that this new Twilight Zone is going to be political when like, this is, uh, this is a time when it should be political and everything. Like, it, I don't get it. God, it, that's frustrating. Well, I'll probably, I'll probably talk more about that at the end of the season when, uh, when I have Tiny on to review the, kind of talk about the episode or the season overall. Um, yeah. So let's dive into Nightmare at 30,000 Feet. So. Uh, plot summary courtesy of IMDb is a journalist listens to a podcast detailing how the plane on which he's a passenger will disappear. Uh, talent rundown for this episode is, uh, I just, I just had three of them, but, uh, cast is Adam Scott as Justin Sanderson. Um, I know him from Parks and Rec and, uh, uh, a party down, and oh god why can't i think of uh the other stuff he's been in uh hot tub time machine too i guess um yeah he's he's great i I love adam scott um it also has chris diamantopoulos uh as joe beaumont which i will talk about that name uh later um he he's been in silicon valley and he was in the office for a spell 
uh, or a few episodes. Um, and he's been in some other stuff, but I can't remember off the top of my head. And also, I wanted to point this out because I, I was just kind of floored by this. And I'll talk about this again when I get into the episode. But Dan Carlin as podcast host Rodman Edwards. Uh, that was pretty cool. Dan Carlin is known for his podcast, Hardcore History. Um, like he's, he's one of the most popular podcasters out there. Um, especially history podcasts. It's, it's insane. Writer for this episode was Marco Ramirez. Uh, he is known for Daredevil, The Defenders, uh, Orange is the New Black, Sons of Anarchy. Um, he is one of the producers of the show, and I thought that he was going to be like the showrunner of the show, but I don't know how they have it set up uh, on the Twilight Zone, but he is he is one of the producers of the show. Uh, director for this episode was Greg Yatanis. Uh, I'm probably mispronouncing that. Um, really dig this guy's work. Uh, he... I, I haven't seen the show, so uh, he directed several episodes of Manhunt Unabomber, which my friend Tiny over at Obsessive Viewer raved about uh, when it was out. Uh, he also directed three episodes of Lost, which is far and away one of my favorite shows of all time. And he also directed uh, the best episode of season one of Castle Rock. He directed the episode The Queen, which you can hear me and Tiny review over at Tower Junkies, uh, TowerJunkiesPod.com. It's our podcast about Stephen King and the Dark Tower. But The Queen was a, an incredible episode and, and, and great. And so it's awesome that uh, he went on to direct this episode of The Twilight Zone. And last thing in his credits, this is such a deep cut, obscure reference, but he directed three episodes of the um, Joss Whedon produced uh, short-lived serialized drama on Fox, I believe, uh, Drive, which uh, starred, oh God, um, starred Nathan Fillion and Emma Stone was in it. It was about a cross country, a clandestine cross country uh, road race uh, or car race um, where the main character was uh, his wife was abducted by the organizers of it. So he was trying to, you know, get his wife back by winning the race. Um, super, super fun show. Like I, I really, I, I enjoyed it. Um, but it got canceled after four episodes cause Fox didn't know how to market it. But anyway, um, let's get into nightmare 30,000 feet. Um, so going into this episode, I kind of felt like I was just a little bit at, at just a little bit of a disadvantage. Um, because I, I like to think that I'm kind of unlike most other Twilight Zone podcasters out there. Um, in that I'm, I'm coming to the material from a perspective that the others really aren't. Cause I'm discovering this show, this, this original show, and I'm watching the episodes for the first time ever. And, Knowing that this Twilight Zone revival was going to cover Nightmare at 20,000 feet in some capacity kind of made me a little nervous because I just, I don't have the context for it that other people do. Like the closest I've come to Richard Matheson's story or either of the iterations of it in the show, um, or in the movie is the Simpsons, uh, Treehouse of Horror segment, Nightmare at Five and a Half Feet from their season five, uh, Treehouse of Horror episode. Um, that's the only context I have for this story. And to be, to be completely honest, like, okay, um, podcasting is, is great. I, I love podcasting and I love doing this show and my other two podcasts. Like it's, 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 
it's my thing. I, I love doing this. But I would be lying to you guys if I said I did not feel like the most, maybe not the most intense, but like, like, I feel like a quite a bit of, uh, imposter syndrome with this podcast or maybe not imposter syndrome, but just like, again, at a kind of disadvantage because I'm coming at the material as someone who is like falling in love with the work. Um, I'm falling in love with the show and everything. Whereas like, you know, people who, um, <laughs> people who had really good taste as children, uh, watched it as they were growing up and everything, and they have that appeal to it. So I've always felt like I've just been, I, I feel like I'm a, uh, I don't know, I, I, a unique voice in the Twilight Zone podcasting world, but also, um, a very much uninformed and, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, dumb voice in the Twilight Zone podcast world. Um, so that's all to say I was kind of nervous to go into Nightmare at 30,000 Feet because the way that my mind works is I want to, like, I wanted to go chronologically. I, like, I want to, I want to, like, get all of the information I can out of it and I want to watch the original versions of it and I just, I can't. I, I just can't. I'm um, under a fake contract with myself to not watch ahead on the podcast or uh, on the show. So I am committed to watching the Twilight Zone in chronological order, um, no matter what. So anyway, let's get into the actual episode, <laughs> the actual content, the reason you guys are listening. Um Yes. So right off the bat, like this, this episode opens in a very unique way. Um, it shows the scanner and it doesn't show it like it shows it kind of at interesting angles. Like it's kind of over, uh, Justin's shoulder and it's just like really like the camera is focused on the wall of the scanner. Um, and there's like these vertical lights and everything. It's very kind of intrusive and impersonal. And so you kind of get the sense that, you know, Justin is, um, enclosed, he's in this enclosure that is being, you know, uh, like he's kind of on display and everything. And it's kind of a nice metaphor for the rest of the episode. It's very claustrophobic and very focused on, on whether or not he is, you know, a threat or anything. And immediately after that, he gets stopped by the TSA agent. And I love the in, like the impersonal way that the, that the agent, uh, treats him like all like in the way that it's shown in the episode itself so we don't we never see like the face of the tsa agent um all we see is just the palm of his hand and like it's just i i just love the way that it's so impersonal and um uh, in it's so impersonal and so intrusive and invasive just right out of the gate and no pun intended. Um, it just feels like Justin is targeted when the agent asks to pat him down. Cause the agent says it like in a way that it's like, it's aggressive, but it's kind of customer service aggressive. Um, that's the best way I can think of. Um, and then, so we, we only see the palm. We don't see the face. The face is just not, and it doesn't come into play at all. Uh, anyway either um i just thought it was an interesting detail um but we don't see his face and like when he's patting him down we just get these very like close uh like very close shots and and uh tight shots of justin being patted down and it's just so again impersonal and almost invasive like we're we're invading his personal space as the agent is patting him down so 
yeah, I just thought that, that was a really interesting like opening scene for this episode. And then we're kind of shown like, okay, we're there's flight 1015 from Washington DC to Tel Aviv. And then, uh, Justin is going to buy a magazine and there's, a bunch of stuff in this scene that I want to bring up. Uh, first of all, the magazine rack, we see that uh, Justin's piece in uh, a magazine titled Progressive Point is called The End of Civility. And like that title, like we don't need to know like what it says because the title gives like as much detail as we need. Um, kind of feels like a commentary on like outrage culture and a nice bit of foreshadowing because uh, his, his sense of civility uh, completely gets torn apart. Um, by the, uh, gradually throughout the episode. And I want to mention that obviously the, the, uh, the big thing that, that people notice, the big Easter egg is that, uh, the magazine on the row above, um, above progressive point is, shows very prominently shows, uh, Kumail Nanjiani's Samir Wasan uh, on the cover. And also below that, uh, the magazine below um, Justin's is Dansberg Magazine with a cover story that says, Not Kidding Around, The Unprecedented Rise of Oliver Foley. Um, and it has a picture of a kid, which that is, judging from the trailer and the stuff that I've gleaned from the marketing and everything, it's a reference to an upcoming episode called The Wonderkind later in this uh, season. And... Uh, yeah, so this iteration of the Twilight Zone is clearly going to have Easter eggs for its own episodes in the same way that block, uh, that, I almost said, don't, I almost said, <laughs> I almost said it almost in the same way that Blockbuster does, but Blockbuster doesn't, doesn't exist. But, um, it's going to have Easter eggs for its own episodes the same way that Black Mirror does from, as far as I can tell. Um, I'm fine with that. It, it's fine. Uh, I think it'll make it fun to kind of point out the Easter eggs. Um, and kind of give, kind of gives a, a good break, I guess, from like, it's not like we're going to only get Easter eggs to the original series. Um, we'll have like kind of internal Easter eggs, I guess it would be the closest thing to closest way to describe it. But, um, I'm fine with it. Think it'll make it fun. I just don't want the question of whether or not it's a single universe or how they connect and everything. I don't want that to cloud the messages of the stories or, or the, or the art. Really, I just I hope that that doesn't happen. Um, so speaking of references to the uh, original series, Chris uh, Diamantopoulos's character's name is Joe Beaumont, and I love that. It's uh, clearly a reference to Twilight Zone writer Charles Beaumont, who um, was credited with 22 episodes of the with writing 22 episodes of the original show's 156 episode run and quick plug for the main feed of this podcast but episodes of charles beaumont that i have reviewed here on anthology include uh the following episodes (laughs) um perchance to dream elegy long live walter jameson a nice place to visit the howling man and coming up soon uh static um, which by the way, real quick, just sneak peek to my review of static. That episode kind of wrecked me. Um, I am, I'm so excited to, to talk about that episode because man, it's, it, it, it hit me. Um, yeah. So, um, kind of the, something that I, I mean, everyone kind of noticed it, but, um, 
it's kind of weird that Justin and Joe are kind of arguing, arguing over reaching for the same magazine. Um, there, it's kind of a polite, like, argument, like, oh, no, you take it. No, no, you take it. Um, it's just, it's kind of silly and weird because there's a whole rack full of the magazines there. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. It kind of seems like, devil's advocate or making uh excuses for the show whichever you however you want to phrase it but it kind of seems like maybe that could uh lean into or or lead credence to like a theory that maybe maybe joe is a figment of justin's imagination and that's why they're arguing maybe there's like a tyler durden kind of thing going on uh but i'll talk more about that later so after the magazine scene, uh, Justin calls his wife, girlfriend, presumably. Um, we'll go with his wife, I guess. And uh, I notice that, like he's standing in front of a giant Mission to Mars display, and uh, I was so like I was so like taken with it because it's it's like pr- it's framed center frame of the of the uh, shot, and uh, Adam Scott is on the left is the left side of the frame. It's like it's it's very much focal point of the. Uh, of that shot. And I thought for certain, like, Oh, this is just like, it's another Easter, another internal Easter egg. Maybe we're going to have like an episode with space travel and someone going to Mars. Um, so I did some digging and like that display is real. Like it's like the, I believe that it's, it's just a real thing. It's a, um, because like the, the writing like the that's on on the display is from planetary.org and the missions to mars page and it's like that is like advertising actual missions to mars that we've had with with uh um not drones but uh robots robots um rovers and stuff i guess well, i don't know but anyway um and i like I, I, I love that. I just, I just kind of love that. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. Like, it's a pretty cool graphic and everything. Um, and I, I just, I love that I can look at that. Like, I'm, I'm someone who has always lamented that I have, like, my time on this planet is, at a time where we're not on other planets. Like, like, I, like, I love game, like, video games like Mass Effect and like, like, book series like the expanse and everything but like i just i i'm so attracted to this idea of humanity conquering space star trek obviously great um but um yeah but i've always like been like man i'm i'm born too early and it's not like not like a thing like oh i want to walk on mars or i'm i'm gonna be a pioneer in, in the space program it's just like it's more like no i'd be i'd in the like 500 years in the future if i lived 500 years in the future and we were uh space a uh, spacefaring feet uh <laughs> spacefaring species almost at feces that's not what i want um then I would just be podcasting about it. <laughs> but um anyway, to bring us back to the episode, I was just so um it just warmed my heart a little bit that I that I can look at a graphic on a show, like a like a display on a wall in a science fiction show and think like it like it counting like describing like missions to Mars and everything. And I can see that and think like, oh that's that's cool. That's like, that's a cool science fiction thing. And then come to find out that it's real. Like it's actually like wording taken directly from, uh, from, you know, real life. And yeah, I just, I love that anyway. 
So the conversation between Justin and his wife, through that conversation, we learn that they had a fight. Um, Justin is very remorseful about it. Um, I just, I, I love Adam Scott. I just, I love Adam Scott and I, I buy into every like emotion, emotional turn that he takes in this episode. And it, like that scene with his wife on the phone is no different. Like that, like it, there's such a sincerity to him that I just totally buy into. He's sorry that he yelled and he, uh, he needs to take this job in Tel, Tel Aviv. So, cause he needs, he needs the money. He needs the work. Um, I just totally buy into that. So we like getting that, um, we get that emotion, but it's also a lot of exposition and it's like, I kind of like it. It's like the perfect amount of exposition. Like we, we know that he had some, uh, as he put it, he saw some fucked up shit and he, he's like kind of coming out of experiencing some traumatic kind of thing. And he had like a mental breakdown and we all kind of glean that from the dialogue and it's very cleanly done. Um, and also, uh, to, to kind of point out, um, or to call back his magazine article, but I like that his conversation with her is very civil. Like it's a very civil conversation. Um, and by the end of it, like, I, I love the little detail of him saying like, are, are we good? Um, it's just, it's, it's nice. It's sweet. Um, and then like, as, like, as they get through the tough part of the conversation, he just like, he gets into kind of a more, um, uh, upbeat, I guess, tone where he's like, Oh, get this. It's, it's October 15th. I'm on flight 10 15. It was delayed to 10 15, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. So anyway, so he goes into the, he's boarding the plane and I want to mention that the jetway scene as he's, as he's walking, um, toward the plane, uh, on the jetway, I think that's what it's called. Anyway, um, as he's in the crowd, like the wall next to him, which is behind, like behind, like, you know, uh, where it's shot from the side. So it's like in the background of the episode or of the, of the shot. Um, there's vertical lights, um, along a kind of rounded wall, uh, as he's walking through. And that is a nice, like, mirror to the scanner that he was in in the very beginning of the scene, or the very beginning of the episode. Um, cause both vertical lights, both, both kind of rounded. And, uh, I just thought that that was an interesting, like, visual touch that kind of signals to us that he's a prisoner to the twilight zone. Like he's, it's very claustrophobic and it kind of gives us a, the idea that he's, um, in for, a, a bad time. Um, and I love the, I love the way that the show it, like develops him as like a likable character. Like he, uh, when he's like walking by the pilot, like he, looks up at him and he's just like, good flight today. And it's like the tone that he uses is so, I don't want to say sweet, but like, it's, it's very, um, pleasant, but it's like a, like he's seeking reassurance because he's clearly like a little bit unsettled or nervous, but it's like kind of like this interesting, um, thing. Like he's, he's trying to get confidence from, from the pilot. Um, yeah. So, then immediately after that, he offers his seat to the family, uh, with the child. And again, it kind of just reiterates how nice he is and how pleasant he is. And also just the fact that it, uh, that he wasn't prejudiced or anything. Like it, it just kind of shows that he's not like a bigot or anything. Um, 
which, you know, kind of comes into play later a little bit. Um, so he goes into the plane and he sees that Joe is in the back drinking. And I have this stupid note. And I'm so sorry. If you watch Silicon Valley and you've seen Chris Diamantopoulos's, uh, role in that, in that show, you'll get this reference. But like, uh, like in my notes, I put, he sees Joe in the back drinking. This guy flights. Um, so sorry. <laughs> so, okay. So now we've come to, Adam Scott, Justin Sanderson sitting down in the seat. And this is where we've come to the podcast portion of the episode. And I was so floored by this because I didn't know that this was going to be a plot point in the episode. And to, to get it out of the way really quick, um, the name of the MP3 player, like the brand of it is Whipple, which is a reference to an original series episode that I have not covered and won't cover for a considerable amount of time uh the brain center at whipples which is one of the last episodes of the series in late season five like it's episode 33 i believe so so okay small tangent i have created over the last six years of my life i have created hundreds of podcast episodes and i've devoted a good portion of my time and life to this medium because i enjoy it it's it's a fulfilling hobby for me um, and I appreciate everyone who listens, uh, to it. I, seriously, I can't, uh, can't overstate that. So whenever I see podcasts, uh, depicted in like a movie or a TV show, naturally I kind of perk up a little bit to it. And like, I, it piques my interest a little, a little more. And a lot of times it's, the medium of podcasts is used as a punchline or just not not accurately represented. Um, one of the big ones for me is uh, Tusk, Kevin Smith's movie Tusk. Um, I really dislike the depiction of podcasts in that. And it, it was a shame because Kevin Smith, like that was, the, that was a movie that he workshopped or like came up with on the air on a podcast and uh, ran with. But anyway, um, so I don't know. Anyway, that all comes down to just his depiction of podcasts in the, in the movie was just like morning shock jock radio and just didn't gel with the kind of podcasting I do or I love and appreciate. It's a very, 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 uh, niche, uh, kind of view of podcasting in my opinion. And in, uh, uh, Scream, the TV show, uh, I watched the first season and it was for reviews I was writing for obsessiveviewer.com. Uh, they had a podcaster character that was basically just an analog for the host of Serial. Um, because, you know, Serial was the first podcast ever. <laughs> Um, it, it wasn't, um, and this MTV show just needed to meet its buzzword quota. So the depiction of podcasts in media has been problematic for a little while, especially with the, uh, with the rise of serial and the dominance of like true crime podcasts and, uh, investigative journalist podcasts, essentially. Um, so I, it's always been something that's stuck in my craw and, uh, I was just so delighted to see podcasts play a role in this episode of The Twilight Zone. And casting Dan Carlin as the host of Enig- uh, Enigmatic, uh, I'm sorry, Enigmatic, uh, was a brilliant touch. Um, he's, like he, he, like I said, he, he does hardcore history. Like he's very, um, very, very well respected in the podcasting world. 
And I just, I love that. I thought that was brilliant. And having the podcast recount the story of the disappeared flight while Justin is on the flight is such an interesting way to update or riff on what I understand is the original story, um, or the original story as I know it from The Simpsons. Um, I just think that that's really cool to bring up new technology or relatively new technology, um, and just it's it's such an interesting concept, and I'll dig into it more as I as I go on uh, through this review. Um, but I do want to mention that uh, just a nice bit of I don't want to say it's full on comic relief, but like a, a nice like uh, a nice like bit of like tension release, I guess. Uh, when uh, when Justin is listening to the podcast and like he's as the plane is about to take off and he's like like he's learning like oh this is a this is a podcast about the flight that i'm on and it's uh telling me that it's gonna like the flight is gonna disappear and everyone's gonna be like dead presumably um i love i love the way that adam scott just says like as the plane is taking off he's like god um like there's so much to that read of that line like i feel like that is I feel like I inferred from that that he like his character is listening to the podcast thinking that it's some viral thing or some weird entertainment thing that's that's done as like a package deal with the plane with the with the trip um with the flight but it's so sinister and everything that he's just reacting like like just I don't know I'm maybe I'm digging too much into it but I just love the the way that he said god um, uh, when he, uh, when, when the plane was taken off and he was kind of catching up to what the podcast was. Um, I will say also the visual effects of the exterior of the plane, um, coupled with like the lightning and the sound effects of the storm, just top notch. I loved it. It's, it's great atmosphere, adding great atmosphere. Um, the plane itself, like the set of the cabin is, is kind of huge. Like it's not as claustrophobic as you would think. So, um, like, I don't think there's any tension lost in that, in, in the fact that the cabin is pretty, pretty well, um, sized, <laughs> but I do like that just there's a constant, like, spattering of rain and, and lightning effects and, and thunder throughout the episode, because that kind of just really added to it, um, and I'm sure that that's probably, yeah, that's, my understanding is it's definitely a staple of uh, the other two uh, iterations of it. Um, so we get to Jordan Peele's narration, and I, I, I really like, I enjoy that it comes from the screens on the plane. Um, and I also like that he's physically in the place that the episode ends up. Um, it's kind of a nice touch and nice, I don't know if you'd say foreshadowing or, or what, but it's kind of a kind of cool like framing device for the, for the uh, narration. And so... He does a narration and then opening credits. And I don't remember really if I said this in the, uh, review of the comedian, but I, can I just say, I like watching the opening credits and the opening theme and knowing that we're in the midst of a brand new iteration of this show is so incredibly satisfying to me. Um, I have always, like I said, I've always felt somewhat of a disconnect with the audience, uh, of the podcast. Um, just because I'm, I'm not this lifelong fan of the series. I didn't grow up with it, but I feel like there's this interesting balance between, I feel like with this, with this new show, there's an interesting balance between podcast host and listener. Um, when, when I'm doing these reviews. So I, 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 I like that anyway. Um, we're back in after the opening credits and immediately we get 
quick uh, references to the original series. Um, and I was so delighted by this because uh, I just, ha- by happenstance, just reviewed episode, the episode titled 22 from the original series. But the podcast... Um, after the opening credit says, we've covered on this podcast, uh, several, um, aviation related, uh, anomalies or something. Um, and he says the crash of flight 22 from Miami beach, uh, which is a reference to season two, episode 22, um, which I just reviewed on the show this week, a couple days ago. And then he goes on to say, and the anomaly of flight 107 from Buffalo, which I did some light Googling and I didn't, I didn't really spoil it or anything, but, uh, apparently that's from season three of the original series episode, the arrival, um, and also, this is a good time to say it, uh, I'm really, uh, kind of, uh, tickled by, and this is the second time I've said, it, I'm so tickled by this, um, but, like, in this bonus episode review series. Anyway, I'm, I'm so, uh, um, I'm, I'm enjoying the fact that, uh, I just reviewed 22, which involves, air travel in some capacity and then the next episode on the feed is this episode that you're listening to now nightmare at 30,000 feet and then next week i'm going to be reviewing the odyssey of flight 33 which is the next episode in my uh regular reviews of the original series so i just i just like that we just have that coincidence uh matching up with those three episodes so as the as he listens to more of the podcast the uh pilot's name is revealed as captain donner and that was interesting to me since the douchebag comic and the comedian, uh, his name was Joe Donner. And I don't know if that's going to be like a, I don't think it would be like a running thing, but like, I wonder if there will be some kind of Easter egg, uh, to that effect once we get more episodes. I, I don't know. Um, I found it interesting that the plane has live video feeds into the cockpit. Um, I have never, uh, done like a, um, transatlantic flight or like any i've i have i've flown to uh vegas a few times um but i don't i like i'd be surprised if this concept like we that you have live video feeds into the cockpit of the plane um i would be surprised if that was actually a real thing um I, I didn't do any research or anything, but I, I would be surprised to learn if that was real because it just kind of strikes me as something that's uh like something that's set up just for the story, like the payoff at the end with Joe talking to Justin at the end through the video feed. Um, but if it's real, like if you know if it's real, like let me know because that's kind of interesting. So anyway, um, <laughs> stupid uh, comment, but Justin asks the passenger next to him to listen to the podcast. And like, I don't know, just the way, the way that Justin says this podcast is talking about this flight. Like he's, he's saying it like he's so interested in it. And like, um, as someone who has been podcasting for six years, I know, like, I know how he feels like trying to get someone to listen to a podcast is an uphill battle. Um, and talking to a stranger about podcasts is a losing battle. Um, so like, I just had like, I felt like this special connection with Justin, uh, Sanderson as in that scene. Um, I don't know, but anyway, uh, so the passenger isn't into it. He's like, those were on your, like those headphones were on your ears. Um, and then he said, I don't want to get lice. 
I don't, I don't know. It's kind of cute. Like the guy's bald, and I'm. I assume you can. I don't know if you can get lice if you're bald. I don't know. Anyway, um, uh, but I don't know. I I thought that that line was kind of cute, but it didn't really like floor me as like the height of comedy or anything. Um, and I do want to say just real, just nitpick. Uh, it bothered me that Justin presses play on the podcast, uh, before he actually puts the headphones on. Um, that just uh, like uh, that just that just kind of made me a little crazy. Um, so at this point in the podcast, uh, the podcast is saying that, uh, by the way, the podcast host name is Rodman, uh, which I assume is a reference to Rod Serling. But, uh, then he tell like, this is the, this is the big like jump scare of the episode. And I loved this. It's when the podcast mentions the bird hitting the engine. It's a really great effect. Um, timed perfectly the way that it cuts, um, cuts away from the engine uh like you see like you see the bird fly into the engine you see that like flash of fire and like immediately it cuts over to uh to adam scott he jumps up and he tosses the um the mp3 player on the seat and he just looks and then he runs into the lavatory all of that happens in like a second and a half and like the music swells and it's like i don't know it's just it's so well done and it's like, it's start, it's genuinely startling, uh, startling. Um, and then he goes back to his seat and he starts hitting the button for the, uh, fl- uh for the flight attendants. Um, I, I like how it's gradual. Like his, his kind of craziness is a gradual, like downward slope for him. And this is kind of his first, like panicky kind of outburst. And it, like I, I like how his anxious behavior, um, like he's he's anxious and panicky, but he's still being polite and he's still somewhat conscious of like his demeanor and what his, um, what what he's putting out there and like how he's being perceived by people. Um, I just I don't know. I really like Adam Scott's performance in that in that scene in this whole episode. Really, um, he just plays Justin as this concerned passenger who's still conscious of his behavior um, and becomes less and less conscious of it as um, the nightmare unfolds. And I do want to mention that it's interesting that no one on the plane reacts in any way to the bird. And like the episode doesn't, the episode doesn't answer these questions or anything and it's left ambiguous um by design and i'm so happy that it is but it makes me wonder like is is this real um it is bringing into question like his sanity and his mental state um no one reacts to the bird and it makes me wonder not only is the bird like real like the did the bird really fly into the engine or is the podcast even real? Like, is he listening to an actual podcast or is this his mind kind of creating a, a thing like, uh, um, a nightmare for him to, to live. Um, and then also I kind of went a step further and I was like, maybe Joe is kind of orchestrating things. Um, in some way, because ultimately he gains control of the plane and crashes it. Um, so I don't know. Those are all questions that aren't answered and I'm happy. Uh, I think the episode is all the better for that. Um, let me just talk really quickly about just the concept of this. And this is something that, you know, Twilight Zone fans have, have 
long had. Like one of the iconic episodes is Nightmare on Twenty Thousand Feet, and um, the movie iteration of it, I'm sure, is well respected. Um, but just the idea of it, like the threat or fear of of harm befalling a flight um, that you're on is terrifying. And I love that this episode takes that a step further by making it the threat, by making the threat um, that the plane is going to disappear. Like the idea that like the mystery surrounding a flight full of passengers and crew completely disappearing without a trace at all leaves so much more to the imagination in my opinion than when like then like if the premonition was that the plane was going to crash and everyone was going to die um when because specifically because when you're in panic mode and when you're panicking about something that you you feel like you have an obligation or responsibility to prevent uh or you have a power which you know you have the inside track where you can prevent it um your imagination will run with the most extreme scenario of the actual outcome if you fail instead of like oh the plane's going to crash and we're all going to die the plane disappears no one knows what happens to it like that's a more terrifying to me um premise than than just a regular uh crash flight um yeah, so then this is the point where Joe reveals that he was a pilot and that he's flown um gold oh, I can't remember the name of the the airline, but he's flown this type of plane for this airline. He's worked with the, that captain, that flight crew, um and everything and he is telling him, he's telling Justin that the bird was real. Like he like yeah, that was definitely a bird. And in talking about him being a pilot, he mentions he made one too many mistakes that he can't take back. And it's interesting because this is seeding his weird, twisted redemption for himself. Um, and I say redemption with air quotes and italicized a font because his redemption is, you know, uh, sacrificing an entire plane full of people so that he can escape his past. But I like that it's so ambiguous. I like that Joe's backstory isn't explored. We don't get a lot of information about it and we don't really need it. Um, cause I think it's more fun to think about it in terms of like, is Joe even real? Because no one really acknowledges him or interacts with him throughout the episode. Like there's one scene when he's going to the cockpit where one of the passengers looks up to him as he passes him. Um, and then I guess, well, of course he knocks out the pilot and then also he makes the announcement, but, um, up until that point, like no one acknowledges his existence or anything. So that's why I mentioned earlier that I kind of wonder if it's a Tyler Durden thing and that, um, Joe is a manifestation of Justin's psychosis and he is just orchestrating everything because he is, he is suffering a psychotic break. Um, but the episode, I feel like if that was a viable theory, for the episode, I feel like the the show would have made it more, made it fit more cleanly, or even addressed it outright. Uh, the fact that it's left ambiguous and everything, I don't feel like that's really a viable theory. Um, yeah. So after he gets kind of the um, reinforce, like the positive reinforcement that the bird did exist and that he's not crazy, uh, Justin starts investigating the disappearance through the podcast. And I love this concept. Like, granted, again, I only have The Simpsons to reference for the whole Gremlin um, plot 
in the original uh, stories. But I love that the podcast is just, it's not, on the surface, he's investigating this disappearance so that he can try to prevent it because he has, he has the knowledge that could maybe save the, save everyone on the plane. But the podcast is a supernatural entity in the Twilight Zone and the podcast is guiding his paranoia and his descent. And I, I, I just, I like it. I like this development. And I, it's kind of weird because it, it feels like there's a little bit of an emphasis on the notebook as he's taking notes and everything. But, um, really, it's just him show, like showing him doing his job. But what it's really doing is it's pulling him into a more hysterical mindset and it's easing him into this, uh, prejudice laden, like action that he can, that, that he can't escape from because he's being drawn into it. Um, so he's going to make moral concessions, um, that is against the type of person that he is and that has been demonstrated throughout the first 10 or so minutes of this episode. Um, he's going to make, make concessions and make choices based on prejudice and based on just lack of information, just knee jerk reaction. Um, and what I love about this is that it's so gradual. It's so like, it's not like he's just instantly changed into like a bigoted, uh, fearful, uh, paranoid guy. It's just this gradual thing that he is just trying to stay ahead of what, uh, he's learning through this mystical podcast. And I also like that the podcast itself becomes this comfort to him. Like I said, it's his guide into paranoia, but he isn't scared of it. Like he's not, like he's not listening to it and, um, being terrified of the things that he learns. He is like, this is his comfort blanket on this terrifying nightmare flight. Um, and because of that, he can't see what it's doing to him. Like he can approach the two, uh, Sikh passengers and like, like tell them to turn off their electronic device, um, without a sense of like what that would look like or, or how that, how that is perceived or like he has no empathy with it. He's just like, I, you need to turn that off now. And it's, that's such an interesting scene because the two passengers, like that is such an authentic, uh, reaction. Um, like Justin isn't prejudiced. He's not racist. He's not single, uh, singling them out because they're, uh, they're seek or, or, what have you. They're not, he's not seeking, he's not, no pun intended. He's not seeking them out, uh, because of their religion or their religious like garb. Um, he's just concerned about the electronic device, but it's like, we're, it's 2019. And, uh, to be more specific, it's October 15th, 2019, uh, presumably 2019 at least. But like the, like, I, I love that they're like, Hey, we're seek. Um, because that's like, it just says that like, they've gone through their, their lives. Like this has been a, a normal thing for them. Um, and it's just, it's sad. Like it's a sad commentary and everything, but it's just, it's so interesting and evocative of the world we live in. And then kind of, I guess on the other side of that, or maybe it's not really the same thing, but, um, the podcast is like starts referencing the air marshal and there's an assumption that the air marshal is a man. But when the reveal happens later, that it's the woman that was sitting, um, across the aisle from Justin, 
I was just like, okay, that's fine. Like it didn't like shock me or anything. Um, because she, I mean, she was like, there was a lot of focus on her, like kind of looking or like watching, watching everything unfold and everything. So it was kind of expected, but I don't know. I, it, I wasn't like, Oh my God, the air marshal's a woman. Um, or anything like that. It was just like, just like, okay, cool. Uh, the story's progressing. Um, the next thing that happens in the, uh, podcast is they mention the manifest and they talk about a, um, a Russian passenger named Igor Orlov who's in witness protection. And so this escalates Justin's paranoia and creates a situation in which he, a person who wrote an article about civility and was gracious enough to offer his seat to someone becomes like uh, someone who is willing to racially profile passengers and completely invade their personal space and snoop in their belongings and everything because he suspects them of being, uh, uh, orchestral in this, um, plot to take down the plane. And it's just, it's such an interesting, um, progression for his character that he is just so willing to just easily do this um just because a podcast told him uh didn't even tell him to do it it was just like the podcast is feeding him information and he is choosing to make those those choices and uh use questionable morals or do immoral things in the pursuit of saving the saving the plane um i just thought that was an interesting uh thing in the episode um justin thinks that joe is an air marshal um and this scene was okay like joe in every scene pretty much on the plane he's drinking the little uh bottles of liquor um but he asked like he had like he tells justin like hey sorry i'm not the air marshal um and he says the best way to spot uh, deceptive behavior is to act like a deceptive person and then at that point he takes a drink from it um and it's like he's easing justin into this profiling mindset he is giving a like he's he's laying the bait for justin to rationalize his actions to be um someone who is willing to invade someone's personal space on the basis of their ethnicity um based on very very scant information that he's that he's gathered um and that kind of goes into like that whole thought that maybe Joe is orchestrating things or he's he's more in control than uh than it seems because he's just like he's he seems like he's guiding Justin just as much as the podcast is um, in this scenario. So when he, when Justin snooping with, uh, snooping in the belongings of the sleeping passengers, um, this is where, the, this is where the rest of the passengers start to take notice of him. And, um, I, <laughs> I like how he is so like, at this point, he's lost his sense of self-awareness and everything. And when he accidentally, when the bag drops on the passengers, um, I love that. I love the commotion. The commotion is, is great because that's, it's such an escalation, like, and it's such a gradual escalation. And I love that when the flight attendant comes up, um, (laughs) she's, she's like, Mr. Sanderson, are you kidding me? Like, I, I love that because she is, 
um, throughout the episode, her and the male flight attendant and the pilot even are, um, very like pleasant and polite. Like their jobs are supposed to be like they're in like a customer service kind of role. And I just love the way that like that particular, um, uh, flight attendant is just slowly losing her patience. Um, I, I like that a lot. So in the commotion, uh, the real Igor Orloff overhears it. And that's what causes the actual like big commotion. And that's what causes the pilot to come out and confront Justin and also kind of try to settle things a little bit. And I like how politely, how politely firm the pilot is and the flight crew as well. Again, it goes back to them, uh, exercising great customer service, but also, um, there's just a tenderness to the way that the pilot, when, when Justin goes back to his seat and everything, the, to the way that the pilot's like, sorry for the commotion guys, we're, you know, uh, uh, like he apologizes and he's just very pleasant in a, in a kind of caring tone. Um, and so at this point, after like the rest of the passengers have seen him, or have taken notice of, of his bizarre actions and everything. That's when the podcast mentions Justin by name. And that has left me wondering. And again, a lot, so much of this episode is ambiguous and I, I like it for that. Um, and one of my things that I started wondering at this point is, is like as a plot device, is the podcast a self fulfilling prophecy or is it recounting the, the present as he's from the future, essentially? Like, is it, is it recounting the past while we're in the present? If that makes sense. Um, because it doesn't mention Justin until he makes a commotion and the other passengers record him. So I, I just, I just like the kind of sci-fi angle of that. Like if he hadn't made the commotion, like the podcast would not have mentioned him because it wouldn't have had the audio to play for, for, from the video that was recorded and uploaded. Um, I just, I, I like that kind of thought exercise. Um, so after that, he tells the pilot not to say goodnight, New York. And the pilot rightfully, uh, takes that as a threat. And that's when the air marshal, uh, restrains him. Um, I just, I, I'm kind of torn, I, not torn, but I, I enjoy those kinds of like, uh, miscommunication scenarios. And I really like that. Uh, there are several throughout the entire episode, there are several shots that are from both into the plane, from the perspective of the, uh, from the, uh, through the window, from the wing and shots outside of the plane, from the perspective of the seat out in the plane, uh, through the window. And I feel like, and granted, again, I don't have the context, but I feel like those are visual homages to, uh, the original, um, episode and the segment in the movie Nightmare and Nightmare at 20,000 feet. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like that's a deliberate, um, reference to, to that. Um, so he's telling the air marshal that he has had a mental breakdown before. And I, I, again, I love the conviction in Adam Scott's voice when he's explaining that to the air marshal that he isn't having a breakdown and he's explaining like he has proof and he's, he's, he's experienced a breakdown before and he knows that that's not, uh, what it is right now. And so the, um, air marshal doesn't, you know, buy it or anything. She's like, you know, podcasts can't predict the future. Um, you know, we're, we're going to get you help when we land. And so she, like the, the pilot comes by and, and kind of 
like takes her aside and that's when uh, Joe comes up and this is where we get into kind of the end game of the episode. Joe's going to hijack the plane. Uh, he had mentioned earlier that he was, that he wasn't a pilot anymore because he made uh, one too many mistakes. And from his perspective is Joe, I mentioned this before, but is Joe seeking redemption? Um, and is, is his take, uh, is his taking over the plane, like his form of, uh, coping with, with his actions in the past and his trauma in the past. Um, and it kind of made me wonder, like the podcast is the gremlin in this version of, of the story. But I kind of wonder, is, is Joe also like, is he taking the place of the gremlin, um, instead of the podcast? Because he is orchestrating things in such a unique way. Like, I don't know if he's in, well, uh, it seems like he's intentionally doing it, but like he's, kind of softly goading um justin into like he it seems like i i would kind of stop short of saying that joe is manipulating justin into getting him the code to get into the cockpit and overtake everything like that's there's i don't think there's enough information in the episode to really get that per se but justin is or joe is clearly uh not a good dude <laughs> um and he is at least a, to an extent, manipulating Justin to do his his bidding to an extent. Um, yeah, so I don't know if he's the real gremlin or is the podcast the gremlin. Um, I, and I just want to point out the line where he says, we're over 30,000 feet where no human was meant to be, but we don't think about that anymore. I just, I like that because it's an interesting kind of, uh, it's an interesting turn of phrase, really. But it's also a great way to kind of goad him, goad Justin into, uh, even more just paranoia. And that's when he comes up with the idea for Joe to land the plane. And I don't know, I'm back and forth cause I've watched this episode like four times at this point. And, um, at first I kind of thought like, okay, Justin th- like coming up and being like, Oh, Hey, uh, why don't you just land the plane? So we're all safe. Like, I felt like that was a little bit of a stretch, but when I was rewatching it like several times, um, I kind of dug it because he is being influenced by Joe. Like Joe is laying the breadcrumbs for him to reach this conclusion that this is how he should, this is how they can protect the, fl- uh, protect the flight. Um, because he's like, he says like, Oh yeah, I used to be a pilot. I used to fly these, uh, like these types of planes all the time. And, uh, he's just, he's, and he's like, he's his only, he's Justin's only ally on the plane. Um, and he's kind of the one that's like, uh, like agreeing with him and giving him confidence to keep investigating the, the plane. So it's like the podcast and Joe are both guiding Justin into causing this tragedy. And then, um, so he, figures out that the code like Joe doesn't have the code to get in the cockpit and Justin is like I have it it's 1015 um it doesn't bother me like I could feel I I feel like that that could be a point of contention for people who may be nitpicking it a little bit but I don't it doesn't bother me it's the twilight zone like obviously maybe the twilight zone is making the code 1015 because obviously it's like, it's a stretch to think like, oh, someone would consciously make the access code for the cockpit, 
uh, the same number as the flight number. Um, like that's a stretch, but I feel like it's plausible that like the twilight zone has created a scenario like the, like ephemeral twilight zone and, and, uh, the Royal twilight zone. (laughs) It's midnight guys. I'm so tired. Anyway. Um, uh, has created a scenario in which, Oh, 10, 15 would work to get him into the cockpit. But anyway, at this point, uh, Joe is approaching the cockpit. He is, uh, like he takes off his jacket. He looks very, uh, intimidating. Um, and then he, he goes in and at that point, as he's passing by, that's when, you know, I noticed that one of the passengers looked up and saw Joe. So I, it's not unless, unless that was Justin in Joe's, but I don't know. Anyway, uh, like Tyler Durden, but anyway, uh, the spurt of violence when Joe's get, when Joe gets into the cockpit and the way that the music just switches and amps up, uh, into like this ominous thing that we haven't heard before that is almost like horror in uh certain respects uh all of that in in the way that the camera moves through the cabin as the passengers are all noticing like oh something's going on and like realizing like what's happening that is so well done like i thought visually that was beautiful um and just really great and then when the kind of not dust settles, but when we get back to Joe on the, uh, video display, um, I love how eerily friendly he is. Um, and he's like saying like, yeah, like he's, he's so polite and friendly, like that kind of customer service thing, but it's so like, we've seen like what he, what he's capable of. And it's just like, he's right back into this polite, friendly, uh, demeanor. It's just an interesting like juxtaposition, but he says on the intercom, I want to thank you, Justin. You taught me something. The past is the past and I can never get it back. Uh, so Joe's escaping his past and he goes on to say, I'll never be the man I once was, but one, but, uh, I'll never be the man I once was, but you've given me the clarity of awareness and the opportunity to find peace and escape the past the only way possible. And you will too. Um, and at that point, Justin's like, oh shit, he's the pilot. And Frank Sinatra, uh, starts to play Fly Me to the Moon. Um, and then, uh, you see, you see just, or you see Joe relaxing and then the plane just flies into the cloud and disappears. Uh, and then the screen goes to black, which, uh, so that, that's the end of the plane sequence and everything. There's, uh, an extra scene, at, uh, after that, but, um, I just, I love that, that whole thing. And I would have been happy with the episode, um, ending there. I think that that would have been pretty cool. Um, but we did get, you know, an epilogue to it where Justin wakes up on a beach, uh, among luggage and everything. There is a doll, um, toy that is apparently, uh, the gremlin from the original Twilight Zone, uh, from Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. So Justin wakes up on the beach. He sees the wreckage, the luggage, finds the podcast and discovers there's a new episode titled The End of Civility um, that tells him that the passengers were found. Uh, the passengers were eventually found, all of them accounted for, um, but no one could account for Justin's whereabouts. And then that's when the passengers all turn turn up and murder him on the island. Um, and man, that ending. Okay. So it's this, it's this interesting mob 
mentality kind of thing. I like it's a weird like group psychosis that they that they seem to be exhibiting. Like it's a weird it's a weird ending for me. Like it's I guess it's to kind of illustrate the turn of Justin's character, like his full turn. Like he is this pleasant guy who's nice, friendly. He's not like he's he's just a pleasant guy who's had some a troubled past. And then by the end of the episode, he has an entire plane filled an entire plane load of people that are instantly ready to just murder him with their bare hands on a deserted island. Um and I really don't know exactly what the show was saying with that. Like the passengers all looked kind of like infected or zombified or what have you. Um, and just murderous, like off the, like immediately murderous when they see Justin. Um, and like throughout it, he's pleading that he tried to save them. And then it was interesting. Something I found interesting was the way that he, um, he's like kind of backing away and he is like trying to explain like rapidly, like I was trying to save us. I was trying to save us. But then he immediately picks up a rock, um, a sizable one. So like he's, like he's kind of like a, a cornered like animal. Like he's, like he's trying to appeal to like his good intentions of what he did. But then he's almost immediately like he's like granted on one hand he's gonna like he's got to recognize that him like explaining that he was trying to save them wasn't going to do jack jack squat. Um, uh, in order, like saving him, but I found it interesting that he immediately turns to violence or a threatening, uh, kind of action. Um, and I feel like that's, that's an interesting, like, um, end cap, I guess, to his character arc in the episode. Yeah. And it's just, it's an interesting episode overall because he's like, he's viewed as the cause of the crash and everything. Interesting that Joe was not present in that scene, um, at all. So like, it's, that kind of makes me wonder, like, did Joe exist? Was Joe real? Was he a phantom? Was he like some kind of evil demon who was, uh, just needing a code to get rid of this plane? Um, it's, it's all left up in the air and I, I like it for that. But, um, I just love that, like, this entire episode is basically a guy guided into, he's persuaded into orchestrating a violent hijacking of a plane just by listening to a podcast. I just, I love that. Um, so we get Peel's closing narration where he mentions that Justin Sanderson was an investigative journalist who was unwilling to investigate himself. And I, I love, I love the last line of the, of the narration where he's like, um, the flight path to hell is, uh, uh, paved with good intentions. And, I, I like that there's like right before he says uh, uh whatever he says about the twilight where he ends up with saying the twilight zone there's a pause and then he kind of looks over and he says the twilight zone kind of throws it away I, I I I don't know I I dug that um yeah so that that'll do it for this episode but uh, well I I said that prematurely um so before I conclude this episode, um, I just want to mention just real quick, the juxtaposition of Justin and Joe, um, both characters are overcoming a traumatic past. Um, we don't get much detail about it, but they both have experienced some messed up stuff and made mistakes and everything. Um, and it's interesting that they're both, uh, trying to find their redemption in different ways. So like Justin is, desperate to 
protect this plane and save the plane and, and, um, not, you know, let it disappear while Joe is more nefarious and is wanting to basically commit suicide and take a bunch of people with him. Um, it's just an interesting kind of, uh, dynamic. And uh, like, maybe it's, maybe it would have, Maybe it would have been cooler if it, or more interesting if it was, if that was more of a focal point in the episode, like if we got more detail about Joe. Um, but I'm perfectly fine with how it, uh, played out at the end. Um, yeah, so that's all my notes for this episode. It's 1230. Man, I was hoping I was getting, gonna get this edited. Anyway, um, yeah, so that's, that's it for this episode. That's it for my review. Um, next week on the podcast, I'm going to have my review of the, uh, original series episode, the flight of, uh, or the Odyssey of flight 33. And then, uh, the new episode of the new Twilight Zone comes out Thursday, the 11th. Um, I'm going to try my damnedest to, uh, get that watched, recorded, and edited and released on that Friday. Can't guarantee it, um, at all, but we'll see. Uh, I'm gonna try it. If not, you'll hear from me on Saturday, uh, most likely. Um, yeah, so that will do it once again. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. And I really hope you guys enjoyed, uh, this episode of the podcast. And I hope that you, if you're on a plane, don't, you know, do anything crazy when listening to this. I hope I didn't like, uh, um, foresee anything like I didn't predict, predict the future of your flight or anything. But if you're listening to this on a flight, have a safe flight. Um, but yeah, um, that'd be like, tweet me if you're listening to this on a plane at any point in the future. OV anthology pod on Twitter. Anyway, um, so that'll do it for this episode of anthology, this bonus episode of anthology. Check out more of my work at anthologypod.com. Um, and at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. Um, if you want to support me, uh, I, I highly encourage you to leave a rating and review on iTunes, preferably five stars and something nice. Um, that kind of increases awareness of the podcast, I guess. Sure. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And if you are in a particularly giving mood, um, you can donate to the podcast at anthologypod.com or at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I had, I had really good, uh, Twitter conversations with several Twilight Zone podcasts. Um, I really hope that we can orchestrate something to get all the podcasts together. That'd be really cool. But I was talking to Brandon from Submitted for Your Approval and he had mentioned in passing on Twitter that he was planning on going or he was going to try to go to Binghamton in October for the 60th anniversary. And like that got me daydreaming quite a bit. Um, yeah, it would be so great to go, uh, for the 60th anniversary in Binghamton in the first weekend of October. Um, I'll let you guys know if I will be able to do that. I just think it would be really cool to go do some podcasts, experience the twilight zone fandom and everything, um, in Serling's hometown. I just think that that would be awesome. So, uh, still several months away. See if I can get the logistics worked out. I can't, I, I don't know if I can or not, but, um, that would be really cool. So anyway, uh, that'll do it. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you next time.
Anthology is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to anthologypod.com slash archive. You can also like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod and follow the show on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at anthologypod.com slash donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. Official anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more can be found in the Obsessive Viewers Tee Public Store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com. For information about the Obsessive Viewer's annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, over at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. You can also find As Good As It Gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty! At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day. And for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry, with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.